Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to our non-horror film programming. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a wonderful Halloween, and welcome back to our not just horror movies all the time programming here on Girl Press's Play. Um, as sad as I am that spooky season is over, I am very excited to get back into some really fun and different and interesting remakes from all movie genres. So without further ado, let's get into it. So in the last, I would say 10 years or so, there has been a very interesting, for lack of a better word, trend of taking films that traditionally have a male lead or all male leads and gender flipping them in a recent remake. This has happened mostly, I would say, with comedies and a couple of maybe action comedies, but it is in it is interesting and problematic definitely isn't the right word, but it's a trend that raises a few questions because a couple of times doing this has worked really well. I think a great example of the gender flip working is Ocean's 8, which is an all-female cast leading an Ocean's 11 movie within the kind of Steven Soderbergh remake saga, for lack of a better word. And I watched that movie. I love that movie. Super fun. Loved the characters. Didn't necessarily, like, miss the male characters at all. And other times, it just feels kind of weird. I think a great example of that which is the films we're taking a look at today are Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and its remake, The Hustle. And watching these two films, it brings up a lot of questions, if we're being honest. It brings up the question of what really makes a film a female-led film or a female-focused film? And also, when the female-led film isn't great, does that mean that it's a bigger failure in regards to does it mean that it's a bigger failure in regards to diversifying the kinds of leads that we see in film? We're going to try to answer those questions and probably ask a bunch more questions when we take a look at Frank Oz's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels from 1988 and Chris Addison's The Hustle from 2019. Steve Martin and Michael Caine are competitors in the Riviera's most profitable business, but with very different styles. Do you have any idea what it feels like to take a woman for 20 bucks? No, I haven't. I'm afraid it's a little out of my class. Can Men always underestimate us, and that is what we use. You let her get away! She dressed him, did it again. 
So here is a little bit of a plot twist early on in this episode. The original film in this episode is also a remake of a 1964 film called Bedtime Story starring Marlon Brando and David Niven. And what's even crazier is the fact that this remake was originally going to star Mick Jagger and David Bowie because their Dancing in the Street video was such a big hit, every studio wanted to jump on getting the two of them to co-star in a movie together. (laughs) And learning about that, it really makes you think about how interesting movies become throughout their development phase. And then after Jagger and Bowie eventually dropped out, probably due to like tour conflicts or what have you, it went through a slew of A-listers for the various roles. Rowan Adkinson, Michael Palin, Gene Wilder, Eddie Murphy at one point. And then eventually they landed on Michael Caine and Steve Martin, which was all for the better because they're both wonderful in this movie. And when the film finally came out in 1988, it actually did pretty well for a comedy. It made $44 million in its theatrical run. And I think what made the film so successful and also made the film good, because those two can be very different things, is that everything is simple, but very well done. The plot isn't very complex. It's two con men trying to see who can con somebody first. It's That's basically what it boils down to. But Martin and Kane are doing a really good job of using their very different and individual strengths, but also complementing each other and making sure they complement each other. And it makes for this really great odd couple chemistry between them. Even if that aspect was terrible, the locations on the French Riviera and the costumes are just absolutely gorgeous. And I think also, while comedy was the main focus of this film, Frank Oz also tried to make a really well-made film. I think a great example of the stuff that makes this movie work is encapsulated in the dinner scene when, early in the film, Michael Caine and Steve Martin start out kind of as a pair of con men conning rich women into getting engaged to Michael Caine. And there's this scene at a dinner table where Michael Caine is at one end and the camera starts on him. And then it slowly pans to the very, very long other end of the table where the bride-to-be and Steve Martin are. And it really gives this sense of anticipation as you're panning down the table. And then it really, when it stops, makes her seem very kind of stuck in a corner. And it's just things like that, like composition, pacing, shot styles, things like that, that work together to make a really, really great film. May I take your trident, sir? Yes. Now, Diana, as you were saying, you don't think the poor should be allowed in museums? I think the poor... Don't take the cork off the fork. Why is the cork on the fork? To prevent him hurting himself and others. Uh. Ruprecht, eat your applesauce. And then in 2019 comes its female-led remake, The Hustle, which I couldn't find too much about why MGM decided to remake this film and why they decided to make it with two female leads. My guess is the success of a couple of recent female-led films for that time, such as Bridesmaids in 2011, The Heat with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy in 2013, and also 2015 Spy, also starring Melissa McCarthy, 
I think because they were so popular and so financially successful, studios thought, okay, well, in order to cash in on this quickly and get on this bandwagon quickly, we'll just remake a couple of older films and swap the male leads for female leads and call it a day. I'm pretty sure that's what happened with this film. And if we're being honest, it had a lot of good things going for it. It had Chris Addison, who had been a director and EP on Veep, which is a wonderful and very funny show. It also had a couple of different writers, including Jack Schaefer, who went on to create an EP WandaVision, which was not only an amazing show, but one of the best send-ups of a genre ever, I guess. You could call 50s sitcom genre, but you know what I mean. So it had a lot of things working in its favor, and it feels like nothing ever fully gelled. I think the biggest example of that to audiences is the fact that Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson, and what's interesting is that every other review I read for research has said this, it kind of seems like they're in two different movies. Anne Hathaway seems to be in... A sly, more action-oriented than comedy-oriented spy movie, and Rebel Wilson seems to be just playing the Rebel Wilson character she has played for many, many a year and many, many a movie. So their comedic timing never really fully aligned, I guess. It also has somewhat of a half-baked female empowerment message of, you know, yes, women are underestimated, so why don't we take advantage of that for our own benefit, which I don't really know how I feel about it. And then the one proof of, no, that's not true, men can just love you for who you are, kind of ends up being thwarted by the end. If you've seen the original or the remake, you know what I'm talking about. So there was some sussing out, let's say, that this movie needed. There are a few bright spots. It's one of the rare post-Spielberg survey films that has a fun, jazzy title sequence, which I very much appreciated. Ted Lasso's Hannah Waddingham shows up for a scene or two, and she is worth the price of admission now and forever. But other than that, there's really not much to let this movie stand on its own two legs, unfortunately. What do men want? Boobs. No. Back door. Front door. Pegging. Oh my god, threesome. What, what is it? What's the answer? They want to be heroes. There is nothing more compelling to a man than a vulnerable woman. Observe. Oh wow, you can just tear up like that. You can just balance a tear right on that lower lid. And can you make the tear roll down your cheek? Oh, oh, okay. But can you make it go back up? No, you try. So is it just enough to replace the male characters with female characters and call it a female-led movie? I think the big answer is no. I think it has to be rooted in the female experience in order to really feel like a fresh genre swapped I mean gender swapped take on a movie and and I want to be very clear male filmmakers aren't necessarily the issue there's folks like Mike Mills, Ari Aster, Guillermo del Toro it's a bit of a cheat but Justin Simeon with his Dear White People both movie and TV series 
that are all writing exceptional and interesting female characters and female leads. I think not just with gender swapping roles, but also with filmmaking in general, it's the that's enough aspect of it. It's the idea that changing surface elements is just enough to convince people, but it takes a lot more than that. You know, it takes time and thought and it takes asking questions and researching things. I mean, even about stuff that I know about, I'm going to research as much as I can and get other people's perspectives in order to deepen the characters. And I think there was a lost opportunity with this movie and and I think as a filmmaker, maybe not as a producer or the head of a multi-million dollar film studio, but I think as a filmmaker, it's kind of our duty to not stop at that's enough. We have to keep going and finding what the best solution is to make the best piece of art. And once we stop doing that, why not just get rid of films altogether and leave it to TikTokers, you know? Um I mean, like I said in the beginning of this episode, I feel like we're going to answer some questions, but ask a few more. But I also feel like that's maybe one of the reasons why the hustle didn't work the way that it could have worked was that it didn't ask the questions. It just kind of made up answers and called it a day. So I implore you, fellow filmmakers and fellow movie lovers, to keep asking questions because asking questions is not only important, but makes the filmmaking and film watching experience a hell of a lot more interesting. And that is our episode. I want to thank you guys, as always, for listening and would love to know what you think about these two films or just either of these films or what you think of remakes in general. Either way, I'd love to hear your thoughts because they're wonderful and interesting and they keep me going, you know? So just like us on social media, leave us comments on social media. We love to hear from you guys. And as always, stay safe and keep watching movies. See you next time. Well, she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind of and take to dinner But she always knows her place She's got style, she's got grace She's a winner She's a lady Whoa, whoa, whoa She's a lady Talking about that little lady And the lady is Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Marianne O'Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauvé. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl presses play.